Chapter Ten of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, A Night of Rain and the Morning After. As for Milly Orne, she had fairly flown homeward on the wings of hope and ambition. Already she beheld in imagination a new roof of shining yellow shingles replacing the moss-green expanse so deceitfully picturesque under its sheltering apple-boughs. But there was Grandmother Orne to be reckoned with. "'Work out!' cried the old woman, dropping her dishcloth and staring at the girl over her spectacles. "'That's what it amounts to, in spite of all your pretty words, Milly. No, I ain't a-going to allow it.' We've got along all these years and took care of you besides, and I guess we contrived to do so as long as the Lord spares us. Please, Grandmother, entreated the girl, don't say no till we've been to see Mrs. Hill. It wouldn't be like working out in the village, and I could earn... I'd work my fingers to the bone, the old woman declared, before I'd see my Millie's child a-working in another woman's kitchen. But when Grandfather came in from the barn, his weather-beaten old face was drawn into myriad folds and puckers of distress. He had found the dun cow lying dead in the corner of the pasture, her tongue protruding from her mouth. She must have ate something, the old man surmised heavily. Oh, I don't know what in creation twas. She was all right this morning, far as I could see. But she's dead now. He sat down by the stove, though it was a warm evening and spread his shrivelled hands over the griddles. "'Yes, yeah, she's dead all right,' he repeated in a mumbling monotone. "'And she was the best milker of the two. Red heifer, oh, she's a-getting old. I don't know, I don't know.' Mrs. Orne had wrapped her head in her chequered apron at the first word and hobbled out to the orchard, where the red cow, peacefully oblivious of the tragedy, was chewing her cud under the budding apple-trees. She came in presently, her glasses pushed high above her forehead, a little angry spot of colour on either cheek. "'Twas them russet apples, Grandpa,' she said shrilly. "'I told you not to give them to the cows. She got one stuck in her throat and choked to death, plain as a pike-staff.' Oh, "'Them russets weren't no good,' the old man objected feebly. "'I says to you, yes, I know you did, Grandpa, and I told you, no wife.' You let me speak for once, can't ye? The old voice rose tremulous but determined. I says to you, mother, I says, the cows'll relish these here apples, I says, and they ain't no good for cooking any more, and you... I give in to you as usual, the old woman said bitterly. Once you get an idea in your head, there ain't nobody on earth... Oh, please, grandmother, interrupted Milly, winding her young arms about the old woman's neck. Don't scold poor Grandpa. He only wanted to give the cows a little treat. But I told him they was likely to choke on them apples. If he'd a took the pains to cut them in two. Well, you might have done that for me if you were so blamed smart and knowing, put in Grandfather, bitter in his turn. I was trying my best to get the beets and the peas into the ground afore it rained. Lord, I don't know what we're going to do without that cow. She was the best milker of the two. The red heifer's getting old. Getting old. <laughs> That's what's the matter with all of us, I guess. Getting old and foolish. I'm not getting old, Grandfather, 
cried little Milly, her pink cheek pressed softly against his withered one. And I'll not allow you to say you're foolish. You're the wisest man I know. Oh, you think so, honey? He shook his head despondently. No, I ain't. I ain't never really held up my head since your mother died. I ought to a suspicion that young fella. Grandpa! Mrs. Orne's voice was sharp with fear. Oh, yes, mother, that's so. I forgot. But I ain't going to say no more. He lay down presently on the old lounge, and Milly covered him warmly with the crazy quilt she had pieced the winter before. I guess he'll feel better when he wakes up, the girl said, as she tucked the gay covering tenderly about the bent shoulders. Her lips were set in firm sweet curves as she hurried the remaining dishes to the pantry shelf and made all tidy for the night. Mrs. Orne did not appear to notice the girl's movements. She had dropped into a chair by the window, her withered lips moving soundlessly, her faded eyes fixed on vacancy. More and more often of late Milly had come upon her thus. Tonight, something in the aspect of the dim little room, the old man already stertorously asleep, and the grandmother's white head silhouetted against the sombre reds and purples of sunset, stirred, poignant, intolerable in the girl's young breast. It was as though for once she saw them through other eyes, other but not alien. A great aching tenderness possessed her and she fell upon her knees at her grandmother's side. "'You will let me help,' she cried in a passion of self-giving. "'You must let me help!' The day following that night of sorrowful revelation marked the vernal moment when the chill conjecture of spring gives place to the shining certainty of summer. A warm rain had fallen during the dark hours before dawn, and the first faint beams of morning shone upon a world marvellously transfigured. Gnarled apple boughs, where only the day before crisp pinkish buds had shone dimly among the small pale leaves, flung scented garlands of lavish bloom to the wind, and amid the fresh green of the young grass, dark violets and purple-pink wild geraniums unfolded myriad blossoms to the light. For the first time in her young life, Milly Orne had lain long awake in her little chamber under the roof. How could she have been so blind? so selfish all these years she asked herself how they'd worked and sacrificed for her grandmother toiling late into the night at her loom that milly might wear a new dress to the country dance grandfather carrying milk to his customers on cold mornings in winter and laughing at milly's offers of help no no he'd say this ain't no kind of work for a little girl like you you stay home with your grandma and keep warm by the stove once, she remembered, Grandfather had been stiff with rheumatism for a week, and Grandmother had insisted upon taking the milk. "'Me and Grandpa don't want you should peddle milk,' the old woman had protested. "'We ain't a-going to allow it, neither. You stay home and wait on your Grandpa.' It had been the same with all the heavier tasks about the house and garden. Grandmother never allowed Milly to wash the clothes of a Monday. She might pin them on the line if she must do something.' But there ain't no sense, said Grandmother briskly, in your spoiling your pretty hands when mine's all wrinkled and out of shape anyhow. Likewise, and for similar reasons, she'd been forbidden to milk, to scrub the floors, or to dig the vegetables. It was all clear to Milly now, a 
as she lay wide-eyed in the darkness listening to the soft patter of the rain above her head she beheld herself always shielded indulged idolized by the two old people growing strong and beautiful while year by year their bent shoulders stooped lower beneath the burden then her quickened thoughts hovered about grandfather crouched over the fire his distorted old hands with their blackened and broken nails shaking a little as he described the disaster which had befallen the dun cow i ain't held up my head since your mother died he had said and i ought to have suspicioned that young feller did he mean her father once when she was a small child grandmother had taken her to the churchyard where in a distant corner sheltered from unfriendly winds and prying eyes by a row of thrifty young pines was a solitary grave at its head a simple white stone bore the name milly with the dates of birth and death milly remembered how she had chased a butterfly in the sun while grandmother cleared the encroaching lichens from the stone and made a narrow mound bright with pansies fetched from the garden at home she had captured the butterfly at last with a shout of triumph bringing it all spoiled and broken to grandmother never had she forgotten the look on the grief-stained old face that's just what happened to her grandmother said in a voice not her own then with a sudden harshness go away child you've got his look in your eyes all this while the sound of the rain on the roof deepened to a steady roar and then somehow the churchyard with its gleaming stones and the wind in the pines and the gravely bright faces of the pansies set in prim rows on the narrow mound became confused grandmother's voice came to her from a great way off not harsh now but cadenced with patient grief you've got his luck in your eyes my child his look in your eyes it was broad daylight when milly awoke and already the bees were busy among the apple blossoms under her window as the girl hurriedly made her simple toilet she heard sounds from below the clash of stove lids and the click of cups and saucers i'm so ashamed grandma was her greeting as she surprised the old woman in the act of cutting thick slices from a brown loaf why didn't you call me cause i'd rather you sleep replied grandmother defiantly there ain't no call for you to be up at five in the morning as i know of she set the thick slices in order on a blue-edged plate they've took the cow away already she added grandpa he seen to it first thing we'll get a good bit for the hide and taller and i guess there ain't no call for anybody to worry i can stand it without so much milk to look after far as i'm concerned milly said nothing but after she had cleared away the breakfast things and made everything tidy about the little house she pinned a hat of blue straw over her blonde braids and crossed the room to where her grandmother already sat at the loom busy tying on i'm going grandma she said trying hard to keep a quiver out of her voice the old woman glanced up sharply from her task going she echoed going where this ain't no time of day to gad it's too early for the mail besides grandpa i'm going said milly firmly to see mrs hill if she'll hire me at thirty dollars a month i can she had expected sharp expostulation even denial but to her surprise the old woman burst into a loud cackle of laughter 
Sit down, she ordered, and get busy picking out all the blue in that there basket. But grandmother, expostulated the girl, glancing at the small nickel clock, which shamed with its noisy activities the silent, dignified old timepiece in the corner. It's late. I'm afraid she'll find somebody else. Oh, let her, quoth Mrs. Orne. You sit down, dearie, and let me talk to you a spell. You got money in the bank and never knowed it all these years. I've money in the bank? Milly gazed incredulously at the old face, hard twisted, in a look of strangely blended pain and triumph. Uh-huh, the old woman nodded. It's been there since before you was born. In your name, too. Me and Grandpa never touch it, but it's yours, honey. You don't have to work in nobody's kitchen. But how did I come to have any money? Milly was industriously sorting the blue rags from the mass of heterogeneous material in the basket. She pulled out a long strip of figured cotton stuff and began to wind it upon the ball in her lap. Oh, don't put in that striped gingham, snapped Mrs. Orne. That goes into the basket, don't you see? I don't know as it makes any difference to you where the money come from, as long as it's yourn. Is there enough for Grandfather to buy another cow with, and fix the roof? Mrs. Orne snapped off a bit of warp with a loud clash of her big shears. Ridiculous, she exclaimed sharply. Tain't ourn to use. Well, if it's mine, began Milly. It's yourn, just as I said, Mrs. Orne pronounced in a hard voice. Well, you can't spend it the way you said. It's, well, for, oh, Lord, I wish you'd go out and work in your poses. The flowers de loose is all in blow this morning. Run out and see em, honey. I got to get these here breaths out of the loom before they were this afternoon. Go on, you're hindering me. Milly had put her arms about the old woman's neck from behind. I won't go a step, she said firmly, till you tell me. How much money have I got? I knew you'd pester the life out of me, scolded her grandmother. I told Grandpa so, but he was set. If she's bound on going out to work, he says. You told Grandfather? Mrs. Orne nodded. Then she turned suddenly and faced the girl. We don't know nothing about them hill folks, she said shrilly. When creation should you go off and leave me and Grandpa for a fool notion? I'll give Mrs. Pettibone a piece of my mind next time I see her. She ain't got no call to... I asked her interrupted Milly. I must do something to help. Can't you see, Grandma? I can't live here and do nothing. You say I have money, and if you... No, no, cried Mrs. Orne. She threw her apron over her head with the tragic gesture of the countryside. Milly listened to her sobbing in perplexed silence. Presently, Mrs. Orne lowered the apron from her face and it was seen that within its familiar sanctum she had regained something of her lost composure. "'Losing the cow and all kind of upset me,' she muttered, and then with sudden sharpness. "'We don't want you should use that money for us. We'd have given it back long ago if we'd known where it come from. But it ain't as if you didn't have nothing, and I guess, when it comes to that, you've got the right—' "'Did my father give me the money?' asked Millie in a clear, distinct voice. Her blue eyes narrowed slightly, gazed straight at her grandmother. I think I'm old enough to know, 
she added slowly. Mrs. Orne stared at the girl, her mouth dropping open a little. "'I never thought you favoured him,' she said under her breath. "'You're like our Millie. But, but there's times when you put me in mind—' She stopped suddenly. "'I'm going to tell you,' she went on, after a lengthening pause. "'It was your father. He sent two hundred dollars to Millie with a letter. And after she died, well, of course, it was yours by rights.' Me and Grandpa wouldn't have touched a penny of it, not if we were starving. And it's been in the bank ever since, drawing interest. Millie's fair young face had grown very pale. She walked towards the door, her head, with its mass of blonde braids topped by the small blue hat, thrown slightly back. I'm going now, she said gently, but I'll be home before dark. End of chapter 10